Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh! And, uh, Seeing Red the Pod, episode 54, where we always discuss the latest Nebraska issues. I'm Stephanie, and here with me today are April and Melody. Hey, ladies. How's it going? Hello. Excellent. I need all of our listeners to know I upgraded my Zoom background. For whatever reason, the background feature on my Zoom wasn't working, but now it worked. And I have a 1970s jello salad, and it looks like maybe there's olives in it, might be bits of egg definitely I see pimentos um, and there's some like decorative radishes and some like green surrounding this lime jello and that is what I'm forcing April and Stephanie to look at Blech. while we have this conversation they're pr- so they will have to pretend to be serious but, <laughs> but also look at this fabulous jello salad mm-hmm. in my background <laughs> I'm gonna need you to make me one of those <laughs> Well, I'm pretty sure she could bring it to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll eat it together. <laughs> you guys, I've had such a good weekend. Like, Yay. the end of school. And um, I have been... I've probably been going a little too hard. But I have, like, all these things around the house I've been putting off and putting off. Because mm-hmm. life has been crazy. Like, updated my son's bedroom. Finally got him, like, a bed that's not falling apart um changed out some of the baby decorations and put up monster truck decorations for him and uh, actually have storage for his sheets and stuff instead of them just under the bed planted some plants and mowed the lawn you guys this is insane this is how insane it is I mowed the lawn and I was already like you know sweaty but like limbered up but like it was actually breezy and cooling off a little bit here tonight, and I was like, "I'm gonna go for a run," and I did. <gasps> I did not go very far at all, but I went for a run, and that is a win. And my knee didn't hurt because I'm an old lady, and my foot didn't hurt with my orthotics. <laughs> Get it? Get it, girl? It was so good. It was so good. It makes me happy. Yeah. What did you guys do, Stephanie? Well, Stephanie. Uh, my 20 year old daughter came back on Friday. And so I spent most of the weekend staring at her. In fact, a couple of times she's like, why are you staring at me? And I'm like, cause I didn't get to see you for 270 days. Um, <laughs> Thanks COVID. But, uh, yeah, we didn't do a whole lot of anything. We just chatted and watched mm-hmm. movies and cooked food. And, um, I did plant all the things that I'd been purchasing in the garden and we're getting ready because we're going to have some of my favorite vaccinated friends over to see her tomorrow night so it's gonna be very exciting yeah maybe you can bring that jello salad melody yeah (laughs) Stephanie I forgot to tell you when my daughter was at your house helping you plant strawberries Mm -hmm. and I forgot she did that so when we were planting our prairie plants Mm-hmm. I was like, just dig a hole and throw it in there. And she's like, Mom, 
Oh, no, no. you have to like uh, smoosh it up and put it in. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. But this is a good example why you need experts helping people learn how to do things like people who are good with plants, planting plants and librarians teaching students about research. Oh, um, Mm -hmm. I just want to say that I, I think the reason we had all, so I had a fabulous weekend too, but I think the reason and I'm going to give all the credit forever, forever, basically, mm-hmm. to Senator Michaela Cavanaugh this week. Mm-hmm. Man, she's Woo! a force. Give her a hell. Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. Woo. She, I mean, okay, so for people who weren't paying attention to the legislature this week, I mean, oh my gosh, you have to find the tape and go back and watch her. She was incredible. She said everything out loud that people usually try to hush hush or put a pretty veneer on yep. she just she it was amazing so what happened was she is trying to get there is funding there is funding available for children with disabilities to leave residential living and go home with their families and get services mm-hmm. there is that money it exists but what the um Ricketts delegation of senators in the legislature did was they successfully filibustered the bill that would create the mechanism for the money to get to the families. And so now the money won't get to the families. Mm. And for no good reason. For no reason at all. It's just petty. The money was already budgeted for it. They just had to push the bill through. And so, um, but the governor didn't want it. He didn't want to veto it. And so he had a meeting with all the senators of in his little delegation and they vetoed it or they um, filibustered it successfully. So she, for the rest of the week, filibustered, delayed, ate up all of the precious time. And the legislature is almost done. Mm-hmm. The most valuable thing that you can use is the time. Yep. So she's just doing all these motions and amendments and this. And she's just, she's going through her entire history so far in the legislature and bringing up every dirty secret, every skeleton, She's going through interesting pieces of Nebraska history. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, if you can't fight for disabled children in Nebraska, when it doesn't create a tax increase, it doesn't create an anything. You just literally hurt the most vulnerable children for no reason. Then I'm going to hurt all your bills because that's what you get. And I want you to remember you did this to yourself. And I told you, if you filibustered it, I would do this. And then she did it. And I'm just thinking of all the bravery and the criticism she's facing. And mm-hmm. she doesn't care. At one point, she said, I never said I was a lady and I'm not going to act like one today. Yep. <laughs> ah! at, at one point, she told them, all the senators, those senators, to lose her phone number and take her off their Christmas card list. Yeah. And then she said, Bye, Felicia. <laughs> Oh, and then amazing. she was like, during her filibuster, she was like reading Ernie Chambers' old stuff, and just I, the, she, and she's she got more me... integrity in her little pinky finger than those guys got in their entire body. Yep, I didn't know that she... the soybean board put together like a monthly newsletter with like tidbits oh. and, uh, you know, so good she read that on the record. I know I was I was, yeah. was good at oh, yeah. information. Oh my gosh. So anyway, she is the hero forever. Mm -hmm. She is just, um, and you know, the other thing she let leak uh, 
in her speeches is she is still getting Ernie Grant. He's still sending her personalized Ernie Graham. Damn. Mm. I know. And that is like, you know, if you are A plus in Senator Chambers' mm-hmm. book, you're A plus in I mean, she already was yep. A plus in my book, but now I don't know, like what's higher than A plus? A plus plus? A PhD in A's? I don't know. But she I, don't know. I think I think we need to make her the patron saint of Hot Girl Summer. So yes. <laughs> that's what Hot Girl Summer looked like. Telling people who hurt others for no reason where they can go. Mm -hmm. Making it hard for people who hurt kids. That's hot girl summer. I was listening to her read an email. She said, um, people said, you know, like, why do you, I don't know, they were chastising her. And so she read out loud. And so I was like, you know what? I got to email her right now. So I emailed her and I said, there's not been one single day in your time in the legislature that I have not been incredibly proud of you. Mm-hmm. And you keep up the fight tonight. You're fighting the good fight. And she needs to hear more of those positive messages. So listeners, I'm Kavanaugh. <laughs> I what sent her a message too. Cause I'm like, Oh, I bet she's getting the hate. Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, Senator Wendy DeBoer also did some fantastic things this week. She extended childcare benefits uh, to people and um, Megan Hunt nice. was on fire with getting unemployment for people that are caring for family members, if I have mm-hmm. that correct. Anyway, these and ladies- unless I saw it wrong, Carol Blood was helping Michaela filibuster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So like we got these women in the state house, mm-hmm. man. Oh, I just we love just- it so much. Oh, Mm-hmm. That's the best. That's what my hot girl summer looks like. Mm-hmm. Feisty senators. Mm-hmm. In the what for? And Judy mm-hmm. King. In the what for? Well, and Judy, Judy King. King. <laughs> Judy King and uh, Thea Hartley, they went to the legislature in their bathrobe. In their pajamas. To say, we will stay with Senator Kavanaugh until all night. All well, night. We have to. I just love them. <laughs> I do too. Oh. oh my gosh. Okay, well, I guess we have to talk about something serious at some point. All right. Well, there is something serious. Yeah. Let is... me bring on our guest, okay? Okay. I can't wait to talk to her. I just, she's a librarian, and you know how I feel about libraries and librarians. Like, I do. Hmm. I do. <laughs> our guest today is Courtney Pentland. She's a practicing school librarian in Nebraska and a board member for the Nebraska School Libraries Association. She's going to talk to us today about some of the changes um, to Nebraska Department of Ed rules and what we need people to do to help save libraries. Welcome, Courtney. Hi there. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate um, being able to speak with your audience about this really important issue that will impact all of our students statewide. Yes. And particularly... Well, can I just want to say, like, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, Courtney. I am like, yeah. I love librarians. This is like one of the best things about April is that she's a librarian. <laughs> and so I'm like, totally sure I'm just going to like fall madly in love with you. <laughs> I want to give a shout out to Mrs. Pope, who was the librarian at G. Stanley Hall in La Vista, Nebraska, which is where I went to elementary school. And she was my hero and library was my favorite class and she just she was the best um she was just the best and like the 
one of the awesome things is that she was the librarian every single year. So your teachers kept mm-hmm. changing by the library. Yes. So anyway, Mrs. Pope was a really big influence in my life. And I just want to give a shout out to her and all of the readers at G. Stanley Hall. Stephanie, do you have a childhood librarian that you want to give a shout out to? Um, I was actually thinking about my um, elementary school librarian and I can't remember her name. I can remember how she smelled and uh, what she looked like, but I can't remember her name specifically. And um, I had, she was pretty influential in me with me um, when I was growing up because I struggled when I was little with uh, my education, learning, especially reading. Um, And she always went out of her way to take care of me. And I'm actually going to have to call one of my teachers that I'm still friends with from elementary school and find out what her name was. So um, I was racking my brain over here. Courtney, you will love this story. So um, I, in high school, spent a lot of time in the library because, um, I don't know, I was a good student. School was a game I had figured out. And so I had a study hall that I didn't really need. And my English teacher was like, don't you want to volunteer in the library? I was like, okay, sure. And I was in there and I got to know librarians really well. And then I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to read and research and write. That's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I was in the library all the time. And the librarian said to me one day, you sure you don't want to be a librarian? (laughs) And I said, no way. (laughs) Not because I was against it, but I was like, no, I am going to be a journalist. And then here I am. (laughs) You know, I think librarians are a lot like journalists though. So Mm -hmm. I, I, feel like those are two things that really go well together. I was the editor of my high school newspaper. Mm-hmm. I write professionally. So I think there's so many things that we do that just go hand in hand with that. So that really doesn't surprise me, honestly. No, like it just surprises me that I said, no way. And then, you know, here I am. But yeah, that's what I love about librarian is I do do the reading and research and writing and yeah. You get to so, help other people learn how to do that. Exactly. Who was the librarian of your childhood? Um, Her name was Mrs. Valla, and she was our elementary librarian, and she was amazing. And I still remember her exactly how she looks and um, how our library was set up because I was able to continue to visit that space um, through one of my former jobs. And I just, oh, she was the best. She just brought such a love and joy of reading and she made everyone feel welcome and just, you know, connected kids with books in a way that made us want to keep reading and reading and reading. And I just, oh, she was such a lovely human being and um, a big influence again on my nerdy reader, you know, childhood. (laughs) that I had. Um, but yeah, she was fantastic. Well, um, on that note, I think we all have such good memories of librarians. Um, let's talk about what's happening, um, Nebraska in Nebraska right now with the department of ed and how does it mirror what's happened around the country already? Gotcha. Okay, so to kind of introduce where this is coming from, there are specific state rules that are written with requirements that schools have to have in order to receive accreditation. And accreditation is something every school wants to have. It just means like you're doing your job the way that you're supposed to. 
And these rules um, are in place and govern all kinds of things, not just school libraries, but school libraries and librarians are a component of those rules in Nebraska. The current rule as it stands right now is called Rule 10 and it covers all of the things that you need for accreditation. And within that rule, it requires that every school system has a half-time school librarian assigned to that system. And then it breaks it down even further and says, if your building is this size, then you have this much school librarian. If your building is this size, then you have this much school librarian. So if your school is under 200, if it's 249 students or less, you have that person one fifth time. So one out of the five days that school librarians in that building and it goes up as you grow in size of your building. The way that the replacement rule, which is um, a, called the approval rule, there's three new rules that are being introduced that are replacing rule 10. School libraries and librarians are within the approval rule. The way that's written is that they still have the half time per school system, but they've taken out the requirements by building. So that means a school system the size of Omaha Public Schools, which is 52, 53,000 students, or Lincoln Public Schools, which is 42,000 students, would only be required to have one half-time certified school librarian for the entire district. Entire district. The entire right, district. And right now, for example, mm -hmm. how is so it right, staffed? So the way that the buildings are staffed is, again, like I said, based off of population. Mm -hmm. So most schools have a full-time certified school librarian that serves their community unless they are on that smaller end, right? So just kind of depending on what the population is. So what could happen is there could be one half-time person assigned to the district to serve all of the school library needs for the district and the school space would only need to be staffed or monitored by an adult. So it does not say mm. that the adult needs to have any sort of teaching background or anything like that. So that's, it's a little vague as to what that is. Is that a paraprofessional? Is that an adult volunteer? We're not quite sure exactly what that looks like. That's one of the points of clarification we'd like to have. But theoretically, you could have one half-time person at the district level, and the rest of the buildings would be staffed or monitored by an adult. So, so this doesn't even have to mean a teacher, right? Because currently librarians are certified teachers, and then they yes. have a library endorsement on top of that. Yeah. So all school librarians have a bachelor's of science and education or bachelor of arts in education where they are certified as a secondary or elementary teacher. And then in addition to that, in our state, we have a master's um, endorsement, which is pretty darn close to a full master's degree. Most of us go on to complete that degree process. So we are bachelor's as well as master's degree holding teachers. So we have gone through specific training, not just on like how to be a teacher within our bachelor's program, but within our master's programs, we look at how to be a school librarian. So part of that, yes, is collection development and literacy 
um, engagement and things like that, but it's also instruction in digital citizenship and technology and research. And we have specific classes within those programs to help prepare us to teach every kid in the building, because that's what a school librarian does. We see and serve every student. So if you are a general education student, we provide services for you. If you are a gifted and talented student, AP, honors, whatever you wanna call it, we provide services for you. ELL, special education, everybody. We see and serve every student. And we provide instruction for all of those students. So if we take away that person being required in the building, you lose out on that very specific tailored instruction to your student body. You no longer have somebody who is specifically providing literacy instruction that connects to a wide scope of um, abilities and ranges and, and things like that. You lose out on some of that, again, like specifically curated resources mm -hmm. um, for that connect to the curricular content. Like when we develop library collections, we look and say, okay, well, what are our teachers teaching our kids? Here's the things we're gonna buy and purchase and have access to so that we can support that. Um, we, you know, do reading engagement and promotion. We do author visits and we do reading challenges and we do the Golden Sower Awards and we do all of these things to get students excited and interested in, in reading so that they become lifelong readers and not just reading for school. <laughs> you know, not just yeah. to, to get a grade and, and to pass a test, but like just to enjoy reading. Um, we, we know from specific studies that our, we build empathy um, and we, we understand other people and their situations better through reading. Um, so we, we provide those gateways to books that look like us, but also look like other people so that we can grow and support each other as we you know, become adult human beings out in the world <laughs> where we will have to encounter all kinds of people, right? So we, we run the risk of losing out on the, the vital instruction and those really tailored resources that fit that specific school community because all of our schools are different and we all need different things. So you have that one person who is specifically trained to do all of that stuff. And we don't yeah. like accreditation, right? Like yeah. Maybe like a little bit of a, a little higher view of accreditation. You know, and this is my interpretation. And you know, I'm kind of not in academia, so this is all, you know, my side job. Uh, <laughs> but like when we're thinking about accreditation, we're thinking what is a great school? And then we mm -hmm. set we set what the parameters are of a great school. And if we go around the state, mm -hmm. and if we ask every single person, tell us about their elementary school librarian, which is right. foundational for reading, right? If we go around and we start asking people, I would be, I think it would be very surprising if people did not remember. And like, I think it is so poetic that 
Stephanie doesn't remember her school librarian name, but she can remember what the woman smells like because right. they sat shoulder to shoulder crouching down because surely, you know, Stephanie would be little and the librarian would be tall and they were looking through, you know, the lower shelves for elementary school mm-hmm. students for whatever Stephanie was into. And, and if, if it's just a random parent or it's just a random teacher or it's just a random person, how can they possibly take the time, take the care and take the duty year after year after year at every single elementary school? Mm-hmm. And you just think about like your school pride in your elementary school, your middle school, your high school. And you know for a fact, because you don't think about districts, families don't think about districts, kids aren't thinking about districts. They just know I go to this school and it is the best school because mostly because I go there and I'm the best. So of course the school is the best. And so you want the best for your school. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we have accreditation is because it says to the state, the state is saying, no matter your income level of your community, no matter the location, rural, urban, you get to have a great school because you are worth it and your family is worth it. Your neighborhood is worth it. And Mm -hmm. so I think sometimes when we're talking about this issue, sometimes people get hung up on like, well, it's rule 10, subset B over on this line. And this is what, what it means is we're degrading what it means to have a great school mm-hmm. taking away a cornerstone of education all of education is built on reading all right. of it yep. you don't have any sure. classes <laughs> don't involve reading at some level right um, across academia from preschool all the way through higher ed and phd level it all involves reading so the idea that you would take away the in reading and literature and research, what is that saying about our society and what we value? Like, right. I don't know. I just said really like, it works me up. And it's, so I, th- there are so many things that you just said that are, are so true. I think that um, we, we have ideas of what school libraries are, and those are based off of our personal experiences as students from the past. And what my school libraries were like when I was young are not what school libraries are like today. So if you spent time in a school library now, you would be amazed at what goes on on a daily basis at all grade levels. So if your concept of what a school library is, is based off of your personal experience as a student, you need to alter that thinking and just have a better concept of that the school library is the hub and the heart of the school. It is the place that, like I said, sees and serves every single student. We don't just support students, we support our staff members through curation of resources so that they have the things that they need to work with students. We provide professional development so that they understand um, maybe some of the resources that are provided that they can use or different tools that they can try out with their students. There's lots of different ways that the school librarian uplifts their community. And there's a fantastic video that Nebraska Loves Public Schools did a couple years ago um, that we could probably put in the show notes for people to Mm -hmm. watch. Um, Absolutely. 
that I think does a really good job of showcasing like what a school library is today versus what it could have been you know, in our own personal experiences. Um, and there's another one we can put in that Lincoln Public Schools did of one of the elementary teachers during the beginning of the year showing like how school libraries like adapted to our students' needs during the beginning of the pandemic um, and what we had to do to provide instruction and resources for kids when it was just very, very strange <laughs> to um, do all of that. So I think that's a really good showcase of that. So again, if like your concept of what a school library is, is based off of your personal experience, you, you got to kind of let that go and, and look at these videos and see what people do now. Um, the other thing is that if we take the requirements away, if we take that requirement out of the state rule and we provide like guidelines, so we say you should have instead of you must have. We are going to see those positions cut. Mm -hmm. um, we have seen that in our neighboring state. Iowa does not have a rule for that. Council Bluffs has one full-time school librarian, I believe. And that person serves the entire district at a district capacity. Basically, they do a lot of ordering and things like that. And then the schools are staffed by paraprofessionals who cannot provide instruction because legally you have to have a teaching certificate to provide instruction, mm -hmm. right? So that's what would happen with our students. They would have no instruction from the school librarian. Um, Philadelphia Public Schools, which is a gigantic school district has four school librarians total. So there's no way that they can serve everyone in that capacity. New Jersey school librarians are fighting for their jobs right now on a district by district basis because they do not have a state rule. DC is seeing the same problem. Um, they had a bunch of school library positions that were threatened to be cut last year and they've got even more threatening to be cut this year. So if those rules are not in place, those positions are cut because budget. <laughs> There's only so much money um, to go around. And when administrators look and they say, you know what, we can have this or we can have this. There's, a, you know, th they're going to make the budget decision if they can, you know, and I, I mean, think that I, like I like kind of what you're saying there because yeah. I mean, it sounds like, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like what you're saying is by making librarians and, you know, I'll just, I know specifically in Nebraska, there's a librarian discussion right now, but this is the same discussion we've been having about music and the arts, yeah. anything that is about the study of the human experience and creativity and magic and you know like what really makes life worth living right like all of that we're like we should that's all optional right and what right. it does is it puts the burden it puts the burden on school administrators who are mm -hmm. powerless right. uh, when it comes to collecting money and raising money instead of who it should be on which are state legislatures who decide what how much money we're going to be charging people at different levels and it's this we're seeing this all across i mean really every sector that people care about right so um you know i live in lincoln and we're 
expanding the food bank. We're getting this giant new massive food bank, right? Because we know more people than ever before are not making enough money to live. And Mm -hmm. the state legislature is like, that's not our problem. We could, we could do things like give people higher subsidies, change tax brackets. We could do all kinds of things, but we refuse to. We're going to make it neighborhood by neighborhood, community by community, and they're just mm-hmm. offloading their duty to the public. And this library discussion, it just feels very much to me kind of in that same vein of the legislature. It's like, well, we don't want to raise taxes for anyone. Um, we want to cut taxes for the rich I don't know but like we're so we're not gonna pay for essential things so if people want that they're gonna have to pony it up individually we don't guarantee you a right to a great education we're just gonna chip away chip away chip away and it will only be schools who can who have live in rich neighborhoods who can raise a lot of money through their PTOs and get the best of everything and then every other kid including uh, everywhere rural is gonna be left out And I think that that's one of the things that is frustrating is that it's not that our school administrators don't like librarians or they don't value librarians. Sometimes, you know, when you're put between a rock and a hard place, you've got to make that hard choice. And that can be, I don't envy them being in that position to have to make those choices. But if you don't have that written in that you have to have this position, this very vital position that, you know, and it's not about like, yes, obviously we want to keep our jobs, right? Like that's, that's mm-hmm. something that I'm just going to throw out there, but as a parent and as um, someone who has been a classroom teacher, we are doing a disservice to our communities by taking this vital teacher out of the classroom, out of our school communities, because they provide a job that nobody else has been trained to do in all of these different respects. And that has been shown in studies across the country that um, having a certified school librarian who is given enough time (laughs) to do all of the things that they should be doing, um, mm-hmm. that student achievement increases. They do, you know, students do better on standardized tests. Um, mm-hmm. Their reading ability goes up. Um, so we know very, very clearly that having a position in every building is so important because our students benefit from it. It's not just checking out books all day long. There's so many other things that go into it that support what our students need. And without that, comparatively, achievement decreases. So you can't say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. It is going to be a disservice to our students. And I don't, it does not matter if you have students in school. It does not matter if your students are homeschooled or public school or private school or whatever. Our kids are going to be the leaders of our state someday. 
we hope they stay in Nebraska. We hope that they continue to help our communities thrive. And in order to do that, we want them to be well-read. We want them to be um, thoughtful decision makers who can evaluate information that comes at them. And it doesn't matter what, how you vote. It doesn't matter where you live or how much money you make or um, who your neighbors are or whatever. We, we want our kids to be the best versions of themselves. And we want them to be responsible citizens when they become adults because they are the ones who are going to be voting and making choices and deciding what our future will be. How can we not give them the best opportunity to do that? And taking yeah. away this vital position is going to make that more difficult than it has to be. I would like to also say that Nebraska has incredible public schools, like truly compared yes. across the nation, um, they outperform many other states, even though we are at the bottom of the list for funding per pupil. And um, a lot of it is because of things we've resisted. Um, I, I, would, I would estimate 14 or 15 years ago, several states saw changes where their librarian positions were eliminated. Mm -hmm. And a lot of libraries had to close or they weren't open all the time to children and yep. they didn't have anybody teaching them information literacy. And now all of a sudden we're surprised that people don't have information literacy. <laughs> and um, this yeah. all cut back. We also saw similarly around the country charter schools open without enough oversight in all of this. We've seen um, some schools, even more than Nebraska, some states that have really decimated public school funding. And um, Nebraska has resisted a lot of that over the years. Um, we don't have charter schools at this time. We don't have school vouchers. We have not cut librarians. And all of that adds up to why we have such high caliber schools. And if you start mm. picking away at those little bricks one by one, then we will absolutely fall in just like all of the other states. And we won't have these incredible public schools anymore. And it's been honestly a point of pride um, for a long yeah. time that we have had a state rule in place. It's yeah. one of those things where I meet with um, representatives from school library associations across the country as my role um, for the Nebraska School Librarians Association board. And it has always been, you know, like we value and care about our students enough to have this in place. Um, and to see that threatened, um, it's so disheartening uh, because I know that we value education in our state. I mean, we have a state rule or state law, pardon me. We have a state law about students being on grade level for reading by third grade. Why would, you hard. The person, right? Why would you take out the person who is best suited to helping yeah. encourage that? Because you know what makes you a better reader? If reading. you read a lot. <laughs> you know, the more you read, the better reader you are. And not just like reading for 
advancement in like, I can take a test on it or I can answer questions or I can make a project, like just reading for the fun of it. Um, because the more reading is fun, the more you want to do it, the more you do it, the better you get at it. So you can get to where we want our students to be. We want them to read on grade level. We want them to be successful. We have another state law that talks about um, civics. We want our students to be engaged citizens. Again, we have someone who is right. specifically trained to work with information literacy and digital citizenship and, and how to engage with a community at large, whether it's online or in person. Don't take that no. person away. It helps you do that. There is literally nobody else in the school who is teaching about evaluating sources and um, how to sort through like you know misinformation and types of quote fake news which is a lazy word but you know um I imagine in my school if I didn't do that nobody would ever no one has right. the time they're already overloaded and my job is I collaborate that's a big thing about right. librarians this is not some standalone in a lot of schools yes. we work with classes I'm not even in the library so many days. I'm in a classroom and mm -hmm. I am, I'm not just teaching these things um, as standalone lessons. They're embedded into what they're already doing. And it is, and it's incredibly important that we keep these types of things going if we're going to, like you said, have engaged informed citizens. So can you, yeah, I just want to talk to that collaboration piece for just a minute. I think that's like the the thing that is the really big difference that I've noticed from like my childhood version of school libraries and what they are now is that we are, like I said, embedded into every facet of our school buildings. So as a as a secondary librarian, you don't have specific classes assigned to you. You have to collaborate with other people in order to provide instruction. So there are days when I am teaching all day long, like I don't have a break at all. I mm -hmm. think there was one week this spring where I had, out of all of the class periods in that week, I had four that I wasn't teaching. And those four, I was doing Chromebook support and helping teachers, you know, find resources or troubleshooting something for somebody. Like it, it was nonstop from the time I walked in the door to the time I left. Mm -hmm. So it's, I do not sit around and read books all day. <laughs> That'd be lovely. Like that sounds like a great job. That is not what we do. No. Uh, so, you know, it's that collaborative piece, we know what other people are teaching. We know what our students are learning in their other classes. So even at like the elementary level, what we do mirrors what's happening in the classroom so we can support that instruction as well. So it, you know, it's not in isolation. We are not this little island. We are you know, they're like, if you think of a web, like we're in the center of the web and we have these tendrils that reach out to everybody else that we are trying to um, support and uplift. Yeah. So, okay. I think we've really made the case, I hope, for yeah, what librarians so do too. and why we need them. Yep. Three, three like bullet points or so. What sure. do we need people to do and ask for? 
Okay. So there's, there's a couple of things. Um, there is a link that's going to be in the show notes to a Google Doc that goes through specific language as to um, who to contact and how to contact them and what to say. The very first thing is that we need public comment made to the Nebraska Department of Education. So they have a survey that's up for the three rules that are replacing rule 10. And I highly recommend like look, look through and see what the rest of it says. Um, obviously, we're just focusing on one very small part of it. There's lots of other things that go into it. Um, but you can make comment on lots of different things. So specifically in the document that's linked, it shows you exactly where the school library stuff is and kind of some things to say related to it. Uh, the two big things are that we need that staffing per building requirement. Based on um, population. That has to be there. Yep. Um, not just Per school system but every building should have a staffing requirement and then the other part is to make sure that school libraries are in the instructional part of the rule so we currently are not there though we are certified teachers and we provide instruction so it just makes sense that we would be included in the instructional part so it shows exactly um, where to click to go to the survey and what parts of the survey and and those kinds of things so that's the first step um, and that, needs, so, that public comment needs to be done by June 1st June 1st is the date I believe <laughs> that we we've been given a couple different dates so if you get it done by June 1st fantastic okay. um, that's probably the the best date to shoot for um, the second piece of it is that the people who vote on these rules to be approved is the state board of education so they are not voting on this until what we've heard is November. So we've got a lot of time between now and November for that to happen. So once you have provided your public comment to the Department of Education, it would be great if you could reach out to the State Department, I'm sorry, the State Board of Education members. All of their contact information is also listed in that document and let them know that you feel school librarians should be required in every school building across the state, not just school system, but school building. Um, and the Commissioner for Education, Matt Bloomstedt's information is on there. One of the representatives from the Department of Education is on there. You know, just talk to all those people. Um, and the senators who are part of the, of the Education Committee, they are not voting on this, but you can let them know how you feel as well the more people, the merrier, right? So reach out and let folks know that this is not okay, that we need to have our school librarians present. And the more personal that you can make it, that might be the, the better route to go with those communications. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the experience that my child is having and, oh, wouldn't it be terrible if this they could no longer have this anymore? Or, you know, I am someone who my kids are grown and flown, they're out in the world and I want for my grandkids down the road or for my community at large to have this service and, you know, whatever you can do to um, personalize that to your experience. That should can be I bring up well. Mrs. Pope from Houston? Yes, you should yeah. absolutely bring up Mrs. Pope and say, hey, you know what? 
what could I have missed out on had she not been in my life? Right? Like if you had not had someone. And and the scary part about this is like we've had students who've come in from other states. Like we had someone who came in from a Chicago public schools and the um, it was an elementary student walked in and was like, the library, they could go in and check out books. They could come into the library. They had instruction in the library because in his former school, the library was padlocked shut. Like it was quite literally locked and they could not go in it because there was no one to staff it because it was not required. We're also hearing some rumblings from some smaller communities in this state. Um, someone reached out, their district has about 1300 students and they were told that starting in June, their position was gonna go to half time and they would have to cover some other classes because the rule was changing. You know, <laughs> that it hasn't even been voted on. Like it doesn't get right. voted on until November. Rule 10 is still in place for the upcoming. Which just season. shows exactly yeah. what we we're saying that yeah, these like, positions will as, be cut. Yep. As soon as they are able, it's going to happen. So you can't tell me, oh, people are going to, they're just going to do the right thing. They only need a guideline. We're already seeing this in place, and the vote doesn't even happen until November. These are just say this, proposed yeah. language. It's proposed I just say this language. stat. The U.S. Yeah. public schools have lost 20% of their librarians since yeah. 2000. Yeah. That's a lot. That's one in five. That is a lot. Yeah. So one thing, too, like when you think about your local school librarian for your building and thinking, it just made me think of it when you were saying how doors were padlocked um, of the literal library. If you yeah. don't have a librarian in your school, who is advocating to the administration, to the board of education, to policymakers? Like who is qualified in your school to say, we need adequate resources in this area, that area, or whatever, um, you know, as things are going on at the local school, like we need new books. We have a teacher who is trying to do a lesson on this. And I mean, who's going to do that? Yep. And we know we want diversity and we want, mm -hmm. you know, we want richness and we, you know, and there's this concept of like the local, local people know what they want. And I think mm -hmm. everybody agrees, just kind of just across the board, right? Like, I think we all agree that um, when it, when it comes to, when it comes to our schools or any sort of bureaucracy, the less red tape, the better, right? right? Like we all kind of agree about that. And when you lose your librarian, that means they're going to have to do more red tape because there's going to be one person and they're not going to be able to handle all the phone calls and all the emails and all the, oh, I just popped by your office. Chromebooks. Um, <laughs> they're just not going to be able to handle it. And so there's going to end up being a whole lot more red tape and whatever it is you love about school libraries, mm -hmm. um, it's going to be harder to love them like because you're just not going to be no one's going to be fighting for them at your school right and we've seen you know those positions cut across 
the country. And there are people who are, are fighting for those positions. Seattle Public Schools has tried to cut their librarians twice. And there was such public outroar from parents and community that they haven't done it. But two times they've had to fight for those positions to stay because there is not a specific state rule that mandates every building has a school librarian. So we need to make sure that those things are in place. Um, and again, I, it, it does not matter if you have kids or not. It does not matter what political spectrum you land on. This affects every single one of our kids in a destructive way. I'm so even going to say this yeah. too. Um, you can cut all of them, but honestly, cutting a librarian isn't going to save you that much money. It's one position per building. Like, but we are one that is not isolated, as you said. We, uh, we, have, we reach out and assist and improve instruction in teachers of all areas. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many times. I, my teachers are lovely. I love them. But they don't have the training I have. And right. so, so many times a kid comes in and goes, oh, I'm supposed to work on a project. Okay, what are you researching? Let me give an example. Um, composers. Okay. Wh what sources did they tell you to use? Um, Google. Google. And I'm like, but that's not at your reading level and you don't know what is right. true and you don't know how to evaluate. Like, come on. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it, it is a myth. Google is not easier. It's no. not easier. For no, um, we and we have specific yeah. resources that we use for a reason because, like you said, it's not at grade level. There aren't supports that are in place like translation. Like I got ones that can read aloud stuff. to you. Yes, <laughs> you know, there's there's so many things that help the learning needs of all of our students, and we know what those are because we've spent the time to figure it out, and we know which kids benefit from which support. Like we know that this student needs this thing. So we make sure that they have it. Um, if we have students who have um, hearing or vision conditions, mm -hmm. we find things that help them do what they need to do. If we have cognitive differences or we have language differences or anything like that, we find the resources that help those kids be successful. Um. I'll just give you a little tidbit from my life. My kid yes, and her friend um, actually hadn't seen each other in a long time and had the evening and they spent the evening writing reports using the resources they knew about school and then presenting them to each other. Um, I have them sitting right next to me. And so they're like bought sloths and otters and that's what they did on their Friday night um, after a long year of COVID um, with their free time. And so that's real impact on kids and their ability to get and take in information and be able to convey it to other people. So. Oh, that makes my heart so happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Courtney, thank you so much for being on listeners. We needed to take some action. It's all in the show notes. Plus I have written an article we're seeing red with a lot of this in there so that'll be in the show notes too um but time is important of this yes that is dumb time is important <laughs> time is the courtney sure. courtney can you tell us um a book you've been reading recently that our listeners might like yes so i um do a lot of audiobooks because they have a well i had 
the school year's over. So I had a little longer commute to and from school. So I listened to mm. books a lot. And I just um, finished listening to a book called The Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green. I John was Green, reading about it. Yeah. Um, he is well known for being a young adult author who writes realistic fiction. You may know him from The Fault in Our Stars or Paper Towns um, or Looking for Alaska. There's all kinds of ones that have been made into movies and TV. But this is a nonfiction essay collection that started off as a podcast that he did. Um, and it was all about uh, the Anthropocene is like our, our human-centered planet, our human existence. And he looks at things from human existence and rates them on a five-star scale, which is <laughs> hilarious. And he started out doing things that he was interested in. And then he would have listeners like suggest topics. So he reviewed things like Canada geese, Diet Dr. Pepper, um, <laughs> the penguins of Madagascar, um, plague, you know, like all kinds of different stuff. And the amount of research that had to have gone into every single one of these topics, like as a school librarian, I'm like, this is so amazing. Because you can John see, Green must have had amazing uh, librarians in his life. Oh no, right? You would think. <laughs> um, but he has done so like the depth of research and there's notes in the actual print book, but um, the depth of research that goes into the history of all of them, because he gives you the history, gives you the background, he connects it to present day, but the way that he writes, he's such a wordsmith. He's such a lyrical writer that you just get drawn in to the humanity of all of it. And he uses anecdotes from his life and, um, you know, hard times as well as joyous things and just kind of brings it all together and covers like some really difficult parts of the human existence, but you're left with this sense of hope in all of it, um, which is just absolutely beautiful. So if you've listened to the podcast, there's chapters in there that are not covered in the podcast. And he's updated some of the, the podcast episode, like content. Um, he does refer to the pandemic quite a bit because he was writing it during that time period. So we hear a lot about that, but um, it's just absolutely lovely. And I would say the print version is great, um, but I love the audiobook because you can hear his emotion, like the nuanced, like he goes from, you know, like humor to joy to sorrow within like these four or five page essays. Um, and I think that you, you really get that nuance from hearing it. Um, podcast is free. Obviously the um, audiobook you would have to get in some way, shape or form, but I highly recommend it. from your library. You could get it from your library. <laughs> I think this is a great one for teens as well as adults. So mm -hmm. yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Thank yes. you, Courtney. And I thank learned, you so I much. Thank you for your time on this. And if anybody has questions about any of it, um, I mean, obviously they can reach out to you all um, and you can forward them on to me if needed. But um, thank you um, in advance to everybody for taking the time to contact the Nebraska Department of Education and all those other folks that are on the list, because the more people we have contacting them, the better, uh, mm -hmm. because the squeaky wheel, we all know um, 
gets the attention. So help us be squeakier and mightier. It'd be a lot harder to get it back once they're taken away. Oh, for sure. Yes. Yeah. So. We know that once it's, it's in place, it is, it, it will be near impossible to get it put back. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Enjoy your evening. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Seeing Red Nebraska, Politics from the Left. Seeing Red is a group blog edited by citizen volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. You can support us on Patreon with a $5, $10, or $20 a month donation. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne or contact us via email at seeingredne at protonmail.com.